Our text for today is John 18, verses 28 to 40. And this is the word of Almighty God. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pray with me, friends, once more. Father, help us. Help us be faithful as we watch your story unfold, as we watch you accomplish your will for your glory and change our lives even here, even today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. All through the gospel, according to John, Jesus has made reference to his hour. The hour of Jesus is that moment when he would accomplish the mission for which he came came to this earth, right? The hour is why Jesus took on flesh. The hour is why Jesus lived out a perfect human life. The hour is why Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, tried, crucified, buried, And the hour culminates with the triumphal resurrection of the Son of God, conquering death and promising life to all who come to him in faith. For a little over three years, Jesus told his disciples his hour had not yet come. We saw that time period in the first 12 chapters of John. But then, as the Savior approached the final days of his earthly mission, the Son of God said his hour was at hand. Chapters 13 to 17, we watched as Jesus on Thursday night shared the Passover meal with his disciples. The Savior sent Judas, the betrayer, out to do what he had planned to do. Jesus taught his faithful disciples, comforted them, prepared them for future ministry. And then chapter 17 showed us Jesus praying a glorious high priestly prayer. Now, when we picked up this account in chapter 18 at the beginning of this year, 
We watched as Jesus allowed himself to be arrested in the garden. The Savior was then taken for a trial before the religious leadership of the Jews. Interspersed in that was the heartbreaking tale of Peter repeatedly denying knowing Jesus. And as we watched those scenes all unfold, we were reminded that God is in control, that Jesus is accomplishing his mission, and that we all need the grace Jesus is bringing. In truth, those themes are going to continue to stand out as we continue moving forward with Jesus walking toward the cross. So today, we're going to wrap up chapter 18. And as we do so, Lord willing, we're going to witness Jesus on trial. This time, it's before the civil magistrate. And as we walk through this passage to tell this story, I'm hoping we're going to find five points of application. But we need to be clear from the start that the central point of what we study today is not the five points I'm going to bring out to you. The central point is the willing walk of Jesus toward his hour, toward the cross, toward the resurrection. God has given us this passage so we see that the Savior, wrongfully accused and cruelly mistreated, he's doing what he came to this earth to do. Excuse me. So even as I bring out application points here, guys, don't lose sight of the central truth that Jesus is willingly walking to the cross for everyone who would come to him in faith. Hey, Owen, can I get you to grab me another water, please? I may die. Thank you. I knew it was here somewhere. All right, let's sketch in some details, huh? Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday of the week where the Passover would be. And when he entered Jerusalem, he was greeted by a large crowd crying, Hosanna, right? Now, John doesn't record it for us, but what else did Jesus do in that week? Well, he cleansed the temple for a second time because he, he did it early in chapter 2, happens again here, and Jesus drives out the corrupt sellers of animals and turns over the money changers' tables. Jesus taught in the temple courts. He never hid from the religious leadership. Sometime early in the week, Judas Iscariot slipped off and made a plan with the religious leadership to betray Jesus to them. He wanted to help them find Jesus in some out-of-the-way location so they could arrest him without a crowd present. <clears throat> now, the Passover celebration would have begun with the slaughtering of the Passover lambs and the meal on Thursday. And if you asked me, I would tell you maybe it was April 6th of the year A.D. 30. If it wasn't, it was April 2nd of the year A.D. 33. You can have your own historical argument with each other after service, okay? The meal would have begun after sunset, and we should assume that Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room in Jerusalem until pretty late Thursday night, maybe close to midnight. During the meal, Jesus sent Judas away 
And the traitor went to the temple to fulfill his agreement to lead a band of soldiers who would come and arrest Jesus. Eventually, the Savior went with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And while he was there, Jesus prayed for an hour before the soldiers arrived to arrest him. And we should assume, therefore, that that arrest of Jesus in the garden took place sometime after midnight, early morning, Friday, again, I'll say April 7th, A.D. 30. Now, before Jesus is crucified, the Lord's going to go through a set of six farcical and illegal trials. Three of them are before the religious leaders of the Jews, and three of them are before Roman government officials. And I will tell you right now, John is not interested in detailing all of that for you. So if you want to see all of those events come together, you kind of have to harmonize John with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now last week, we watched Jesus on his trial before Annas, who was the former high priest. That's the first of the three religious trials. It's a sort of pre-trial inquiry that took place sometime after midnight. The other gospel writers will tell us about two trials that Jesus had before Caiaphas, the high priest. And in that first trial, in the presence of Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin was there, and they brought in false witnesses to accuse Jesus, though none of them could even agree on their stories. And eventually the Sanhedrin declares Jesus to be guilty of blasphemy when Jesus agreed that he is, in fact, the Son of God. This trial probably ended around, I don't know, guess three in the morning with the religious leaders spitting on, punching, abusing Jesus. As a little side note, I'll tell you, it was against their law to hold a trial for such a crime during the night. In the second trial, it would have occurred as soon as there was any light on the horizon. The Sanhedrin pronounced that Jesus, Jesus should receive the death penalty. Blasphemy deserves death. And in all these trials, the Sanhedrin violates rule after rule and law after law so that they can force a false conviction. But as we pick up the story in John... The religious leadership sends Jesus before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, to ask that he carry out the execution of the Son of God. And here's where we're going to find our first application point as we keep walking this story. Point one, watch out for religious hypocrisy. Watch out for religious hypocrisy. Look at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Again, it's around first light when the religious leaders declared Jesus worthy of death and they immediately marched him with a delegation to the headquarters of Pontius Pilate. Pilate governed Judea, by the way, from A.D. 26 through 36 or so. He was not a kind man. He was not a respectable ruler. 
John MacArthur says about him, quote, both the Gospels and extra-biblical sources portray him as proud, arrogant, and cynical, but also as weak and vacillating. His tenure as governor was marked by insensitivity and brutality. Pilate was no hero of the Jews. Neither was he a fan of the Jews, but Pilate was the one to whom they had to appeal to get the government's approval for their plan. Now, John again says to us, it's early morning. This is happening before 6 a.m. I don't know how early y'all got up this morning, but that's early. The Jewish religious leaders who bring Jesus to Pilate won't enter the headquarters. Instead, they, they tell Pilate, you've got to come outside and meet with us. And that's not a surprise, by the way. The soldiers that the Jews used to arrest Jesus were on loan from the government, so Pilate was aware what was afoot. Here's a question for you. Why would the religious leaders not go into Pilate's headquarters? John says they wanted to eat the Passover. Now, again, Jesus and the disciples ate the first Passover meal last night, so this is probably a reference to the other meals that are connected to the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. Or maybe these guys just hadn't gotten around to their Passover meals yet because they were busy trying to kill Jesus. But these guys believed that if they went inside would re- in the governor's house, it would render them ceremonially unclean. Because at this time, for a variety of reasons, Jews often believed that they would become unclean if they ever crossed the threshold of a house where a Gentile was staying. Now, before we move forward here, let's draw a little point of application. Reject religious hypocrisy. Let me just ask you all, we'll take a little survey. Do you all feel the hypocrisy right here? These men, throughout the night, have lied about Jesus all through the trials. They have falsely accused him. They brought in false witnesses to try to have him convicted of crimes he did not commit. And when Jesus honestly tells the people who he is, they don't just reject him for being the son of God, but they demand his death. These men are willing to murder the son of God but they think if they cross the threshold of a Gentile's house, that's the thing that's going to make God think of them as unclean. Let me remind us, friends, hypocrisy is ugly. God calls the forgiven saints. If you're forgiven by Jesus, God calls you saint. And I rejoice in that. You should rejoice in that. But never, no, not ever, should we pretend that we are just good on our own. How many of you are naturally a goody-goody on your own? Let me just ask you this, parents. How many of you had to teach your children to sin? How many of those little folks picked them up on their own? Never should we pretend that our participation in ceremonies makes us clean. Never should we be willing to do evil without repenting, participate in something churchy, and then act like we're better than other people around us. That's hypocrisy. It's ugly. And you've got to watch out for it because it's tempting. 
How do you reject religious hypocrisy? You reject religious hypocrisy when you strive to obey the commands of the Lord. You reject hypocrisy when you're honest and humble about your own weaknesses and shortcomings. You reject hypocrisy when your worship of God is sincere and not for show. And trust me, rejecting hypocrisy is important for a joyful, faithful Christian life. Let's move on. We're going to walk into a second point. Point number two is going to be recognize God is in control. That's the key for this whole passage. 29 to 32. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, again, it's probably already been arranged between Pilate and the Jews. Pilate comes out, stands on a porch, meets the delegation. But the governor may be surprising the religious leaders by asking the very formal, very legal question, what accusation do you bring against this man? The Jews tell Pilate, look, He's really bad. He's really evil. We would never have brought him to you if he wasn't a really bad, evil, bad, evil, bad, evil man. The religious folks don't want to have to make formal charges against Jesus. They don't have a case. They're trying to say to Pilate, hey, just to prove of what we want you to do, don't, don't look into it. Trust me, he's guilty. Kind of sounds like the modern news media, doesn't it? Verse 31, Pilate gets a little annoyed. Perhaps he's just trying to reassert his authority. Perhaps he's being fickle. Perhaps he's trying to get under the Jews' skin. But Pilate is not willing to play along. Pilate says, hey, if you're not going to tell me what the charge is concerning this guy, you take him and you judge him based on your law. The problem for the religious leaders is that they want Jesus dead. And though the Jews had a great deal of leeway concerning their community affairs and their religious practices, the Roman government would not allow them to execute a criminal. In order to execute a prisoner, the Jews needed the consent of the Roman governor. You might say, now wait a minute. We know that from time to time the crowds would riot. They would stone somebody to death. Right? We saw that with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. The Roman government would not tolerate that kind of a riot during the Passover feast. Think about it for a second. What, kind, what was the Passover celebrating? The Passover feast was a holiday when the Jews celebrated God freeing them from the power of a government that had authority over them. Can you see why the Romans might be a little tender during that holiday? 
The Romans were not going to let that kind of excitement, that kind of fervor, that kind of let's throw off the government stuff to get stirred up during the Passover. So one might imagine here the religious leaders, they've got to grit their teeth, swallow their pride, and say to Pilate, you know we don't have the right to execute anybody. And I actually, in my own little imagination, have Pilate with a smarmy grin saying, oh yeah, that's right. You don't have the right to execute anybody, do you? That right is mine. Put them in their place. But then verse 32, we see John help us to see what God's doing. In multiple places throughout this gospel, Jesus has said how he would die. He would die by being lifted up, meaning he would die by being crucified. John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33 read, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You could see also John 3.14 or John 8.28. Now, if the Jews had been free to execute Jesus, they would have stoned him. That's what they would have done by their cultural mandate. God was overseeing things so that Jesus would die in exactly the way God had planned. And from this we're reminded God is in control. Now, why did God want Jesus to die by crucifixion and not by stoning? It's a fair question. John doesn't tell us, but I think we know. In the Old Testament, we learn that a person who is hanged on a tree is considered cursed by God. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23 says this. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. What was Jesus's mission? Jesus came to bear our curse on our behalf, so that we might be forgiven by God. Thus, the way Jesus would die would show us he was taking a curse upon himself. And his resurrection shows us that he fully conquered that curse for every person who will come to him. Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus had a mission to accomplish. And Jesus accomplished that mission perfectly down to the very last detail. And that shows us, even though evil men thought they were accomplishing their plan by their power, God is in control. And let me say this to you. If you've never come to Jesus to get under his grace, you need to. Why? Because the curse of God for your sin hangs over your head. You can't 
Free yourself from it. You're not strong enough. You can't be good enough. I can't either. But if you come to Jesus in repentant faith, you're going to find that Jesus has borne your curse and purchased your pardon. Everyone who trusts in Jesus is saved, forgiven, and granted new life by God. I think that's good news, don't you? Third point. Bow to Jesus as king. Bow to Jesus as king. Verses 33 to 36. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So the Jews knew they were not going to get Pilate to execute Jesus by them accusing him of blasphemy. You know why? Pilate wouldn't care. So the religious leaders tried to shift the scene to make it look political instead of spiritual. Luke tells us in 23.2, they began to accuse Jesus, the Jews began to accuse Jesus before Pilate, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. That's their charge before Pilate. Now, just so you know, in point of fact, Jesus never opposed the Jews paying their taxes to Caesar. In fact, he told them they had to. You remember the render to Caesar, that which is Caesar's, and to God, that which is God's? That was Jesus saying, pay your taxes, you pagans. Jesus never suggested that he came to lead a rebellion against the government. But God would allow these false accusations to stand in order to get Jesus to the cross and to the completion of his mission. John says Pilate goes back in the house, has Jesus brought in to stand before him, and this allows him to question Jesus outside of the earshot of the religious leadership. And Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That's the charge that's most pertinent to a governor in the Roman Empire, right? The emphasis in the word order in the Greek here, it's on the word you. <laughs> you? Really? You're the king of the Jews? Jesus asks a clarifying question. He asks if Pilate came up with this on his own or if this is from other people. What we know, as we see what comes next, Jesus here is digging to find out Depends, Pilate, what kind of king's on your mind? The religious are pretending that Jesus is claiming to be a this-worldly, right-now political adversary of Caesar. Jesus is, of course, not. But if Pilate personally is thinking of 
the king that Scripture promised, the, the promised king who will come from God to rule the world, to fulfill everything God ever promised, the promises of God's grace from the garden forward, then Jesus is most definitely that king. But until Pilate clarifies what kind of king he's talking about, Jesus can't say, yes, I'm the king, or no, I'm not the king. Can't do it until we have certainty as to what the question really is. Well, Pilate's like, look, I'm not a Jew. I'm not one of the people that brought you here. I'm not following these guys. So what is it, Jesus, you've done to make these crazy guys so mad they want to kill you? So then verse 36, Jesus clarifies for Pilate exactly what kind of king he is. Savior says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus makes sure that Pilate knows he's not here at this moment as a rebel trying to overthrow the local government. He's not trying to overthrow the Roman government. He's not trying to become a new Caesar. Instead, Jesus says, I've got a kingdom that's not from this world. My authority comes from God the Creator. Jesus' kingdom is going to grow in the lives of all who come to Him in faith. Jesus is not a this-worldly political king. That's why His servants are not forming an army. Jesus is a heavenly king. Now, let's not be confused. Jesus is a heavenly king. His kingdom is not of this world. But there will come a day when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, that's in our future, Jesus will reign as a king on this earth and be the king over the whole world forever. That is coming. Even today. Right now, Jesus reigns as the king of the universe from the throne of heaven. And the church is here even now to spread the gospel of the king to every corner of the globe. But it is not, nor has it ever been, the church's job to use military force or even political scheming to try to take control of the world. That's not how we operate. We spread the gospel and we watch Jesus change the world as he rules in the lives of his people. Now, while Jesus clearly shows us here, he's not trying to be an earthly king during his first coming. There's a right application that you and I should be drawing here. And I want your attention for this. Bow to Jesus as your king. There's your application. Maybe Jesus hasn't yet come back to the earth physically to take up an earthly throne. He's gonna. And until that time, Jesus is enthroned in heaven. And Jesus holds all authority. So listen. You can either bow to your king and be under his favor, or you can oppose your king and face his wrath. And I urge you, bow to Jesus as king. 
surrender to Jesus, receive his grace. And once you've got grace from Jesus, honor Jesus with all of your life. So let me pause here because I want to say this really, really clearly. Are you a Christian today? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you been forgiven by Jesus? If you have, hear me. He's your king. Listen to me about what that means. If he's your king, he's your boss. He's your Lord. He's your master. Which part of your life then do you get to be the final authority over? None. To risk an old John Piper quote, you think you have rights. Wrong. You don't. You are the subject under the rule of the king of kings. Which means there is not one single area in your life where the king does not have authority. So Christians who are part of this church, never let me hear you say that you get the final word on any part of your life. Just like I won't say that I have the final word of any part of my life because we are under the kingship of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Point number four. It's been a little while for this one, but it shows up. Because it's the purpose of the gospel according to John. Who wants to guess what point number four is? (laughs) Believe in Jesus. 37 and 38. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate's response to Jesus here is probably just as mocking as the, you, you're the king of the Jews. <laughs> you, you're a king. Really? Jesus probably doesn't look good. Think about it. Jesus has been up all night, no sleep, and he's been beaten once by the Jews. Do you guys ever see somebody that's been beaten? It isn't pretty. And they've dragged him in there. And he's like, you don't look like a king to me. But Jesus' response to Pilate, you, you say that I'm a king. He's like, look, you said it. Yes, I am. And Jesus says, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose, this is kind of cool. I have come into the world. You know what that reminds us about? Jesus exists before he was ever born into this world. Jesus came into this world from the throne room of heaven. But don't miss this. God the Son has eternally existed along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The Son chose to be born. He chose to come into the world to accomplish God's ultimate purpose, his plan of redemption. Think about how this book opens. In John chapter 1, it opens... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with 
God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Jesus came to bring a message of ultimate truth. He came to be the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus. That moment I wonder, does Jesus look at Pilate with just a little question in his eyes? Pilate, are you willing to listen to the truth? Would you like to be a person? of the truth? Would you like to receive the benefits of the truth? Would you like the benefits of my eternal heavenly kingdom? Pilate's not interested. Turning his back, shrugging off his opportunity for salvation, Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate asks, but he doesn't want the answer. What about you? You want the answer? Do you want the truth? Do you want the grace of God? Listen to the voice of the one who said he is the truth. Listen to the voice of the king of kings who came into this world to bring us the truth, the true message of life and forgiveness from God. Listen to and believe in Jesus. That's the right Response. Friends, Jesus is our Lord, and everyone who wants forgiveness from God must believe in Jesus and entrust our souls to his care. Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, he's the only way for us to be made right with God. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Believe in Jesus. Follow him to be a person of the truth. And the last point, the last one I'll give you receive Jesus as your substitute. Receive Jesus as your substitute. 38 continues, After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate walks away from Jesus. He walks out to the religious leadership and he announces he has found no guilt in Jesus. And when Pilate pronounced Jesus innocent, that legally should be the end of the trials. But we know Jesus is walking to the cross. We know God is in control and we know Pilate's going to cave. Now John right here skips over some data for us. It's okay because he's got a story to tell. He didn't tell us about Pilate sending Jesus to be tried before King Herod or Herod sending Jesus back to Pilate all dressed in fancy robes. Instead, John cuts to the chase here. He sort of fast forwards to the end and Pilate offers the Jewish crowd a choice. He will release to them one prisoner, like a political prisoner kind of thing, right? Here's a way that I'll try to keep the peace during this big time national fervor festival. Pilate did this during Passover time. Pilate says to the crowd, how about it? You want me to release to you your king? What Pilate doesn't know is that the religious leaders have been stirring up the crowd to get them to reject that idea. 
Instead, the Jews demand that Pilate release to them Barabbas, a guilty, violent criminal. And while all that's sad to watch happen, we're reminded that God is in control. God is accomplishing God's will. And right here, God demonstrates to us a picture. It's the picture of substitution. All through the scriptures, God has allowed the life of something innocent to be taken in place of the life of something guilty. In the sacrificial system, a guilty sinner could slaughter an innocent lamb as a sacrifice. The lamb dies so the guilty person might live. Right here, the crowd chooses to allow Jesus to die so that they can have a guilty man delivered to them. And this, friends, is the gospel. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is perfect. You and I are guilty. We deserve the judgment of God. God knowingly releases us from our guilt and punishes Jesus for us in our place. Christ purchased our pardon by suffering for our sins since he didn't commit. God took the innocent Son of God as the only real sacrificial lamb to show that he both justly punishes sins and mercifully forgives sinners. You want to be forgiven? You have to receive Jesus as your substitute. Now, the curtain falls on this scene for us today. Things look ugly. You know why they look ugly? Because they are ugly. But this ugly scene leads to the greatest beauty ever. Jesus, God the Son, is saving his people. Jesus, the King from heaven, is building his kingdom. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is willingly marching to the cross to be slaughtered. Our only right responses are these. If you've never come to Jesus in faith, turn away from your sin and believe in Jesus today for salvation. And if you have come to Jesus for salvation, worship him, thank him, and follow him with your life. Let's pray together. Lord, We bow. We declare Jesus our king, our substitute, our Lord. We acknowledge we need his grace because we are guilty on our own. And we ask, Lord, that you would shape our lives in such a way that we live under the authority of the perfect Lord Jesus. That's our hope. That's our joy. Bless your church. Grow us. Strengthen us. Save the souls that need saving. Bring to repentance those that need to repent. And in all things be glorified. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.